going to uh, turn now to God's Word. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along right there in the, in the bulletin. Uh, the passage we're going to be studying together is, is printed for you there. Hear the Word of the Lord. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared and he feared me, stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. The people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give ourselves our hearts and minds now to your holy word. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to guide us, guide our minds and hearts, that you would apply these words to each one, in each individual life present here. Would you give us ears to hear what you have to say to us? We ask in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the importance of the Bible in our spiritual lives, in our community, our life together as uh, Christians. Of course, uh, the Bible plays a really central role in our church in particular. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about the Bible, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and many of our ministries teaching the Bible. It, and um, I'll tell you why the Bible is so important to us. Because um, the regard that you have for any person is intimately tied to the regard you have for their words. Right? You know, for example, if you say you love your wife, but you don't listen to her, you don't listen to the words she's saying and communicating to you, you're not interested in that, that actually says something about how much you actually love her, is how much you regard her words. Or, you know, if you meet someone and you're talking with them and they just go on and on about all their opinions and tell you all the things they believe, but they never ask you what your opinion is, your contribution, you, know, you generally don't, care much about this person, you don't feel respected by them. And the biggest indication that we love and honor God is how we regard the words he has spoken to us. The indication of our honor and love for God is how do we regard the, the words that he speaks to us. And this passage I just read from Malachi is largely directed towards the priests and the Levites in the, in the Old Testament in Israel who were the teachers of God's word. That was one of their jobs that the Bible that God had told them to do was to teach the people. And it says in verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is 
the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And so when we are speaking the word of God, it's actually messages from God. It's words from God. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of Scripture. And I want to answer four important questions for us from this passage. Four, four questions that this, pa- this passage answers for us about the word of God. And this is what they are. First of all, what is the word of God? What is this book? Second, um, how should we receive the word of God? What should be our posture towards it? Third, what happens if we neglect the word of God? And fourth, what happens if we treasure the word of God? So what is the word of God? How should we receive it? What happens if we neglect it? And what happens if we treasure the word of God? What, what effect does it have on us personally It affect our community? Okay, so four questions for us this morning. First is this, what is the word of God? And a couple interesting answers from this passage. The first answer is that the word of God is God's words. It's God's speech. It's God talking is what the Bible is. That's how we, that's how we should regard it. And the first thing that you notice actually about Malachi itself is much of Malachi is actually God saying things. God being literally quoted. Verse 1. And now, O priest, this, is, uh, this command is for you. If you will not listen, you will, uh, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. So Malachi here is literally quoting words from the Lord and writing them down. And, you know, of course, I've mentioned that before. That's much of what the book of Malachi is, is a dialogue between the Lord and his people. And so the Lord will say this thing, and then the people will say, well, what do you, why do you say that? And then the Lord will give an answer as a dialogue back. So much of the actual text of Malachi is God's literal words that, that he has spoken. And, in fact, m- most of the Bible's whole story is driven by God speaking, right? How does the Bible begin? The Lord speaks and he says, let there be light. And this world is made. God speaks and worlds are made, you know. And then Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. And what happens is God speaks to Adam and he gives him a commandment. You're not supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then, and then the fall happens and he speaks to the serpent. And he says there's going to be this promised savior who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And he speaks. He promises. And then he speaks to Abraham. He tells Abraham to leave his father's homeland and go to his land that he'll show him he's going to make a great nation. He speaks. And, he, and God speaks to Moses. God speaks to David. God speaks to the prophets. God speaks to Jesus. God speaks to his disciples. And now God speaks to us through the word. The thing, the power that is driving forward the whole story that we are a part of in this world is God's speech, God's words. And um, it is a person's speech, it is their words through which you get to know a person. That is how you get to know a person is through their words. It's, you know, you only know a person through them telling you who they are. You know, so, for example, when you come to church, you know, there's a lot of people here that you don't know. And you're like, you know, I see that people at church. And you see a person and you make all kinds of assumptions about them. And you say, you know, I bet they're kind of like that. I've seen it. And, and how many times does it happen then actually, you know, you're next to, sitting next to them and you actually talk to them during the greet time or you talk to them after church and you're like, oh, they're way different than I thought they were going to be. And, and then you hear maybe some of their story or you have lunch or dinner with them and you're like, and you hear about their whole story and hear their opinions and you're like, this person, I had all kinds of paradigms and assumptions about who they were and it wasn't until I heard them talk that those paradigms were destroyed and broken down and they're way more complex, there's more to them and they're far more interesting and uh, that's how you really get to know a person, that's how you really get to know God. 
We have all kinds of assumptions in our mind about what God is like. And we just assume that they're true. And it's not until you hear God speak that you read the Bible and all your paradigms about what God is like are constantly being broken down. He's totally different than you expect him to be. And you don't have that happen until you hear his word. But you know, that only happens with people when you take the time, you have the humility and the patience and the curiosity to listen to them. You have to slow down and listen to what they're saying. And we have to do that with God. We have to hear his speech. And, you know, I mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago that this, the, God's people in Malachi's day, you know, they weren't necessarily worshiping idols. You know, they were believers. But, you know, their big problem is they were fairly lukewarm. And their, you know, it was kind of half-hearted. Their worship was half-hearted. They were kind of cynical about the Bible and about, about the faith. And a lot of the source of that lukewarm half-heartedness was that they didn't have a regard for God's word and for for the teaching, God's teaching in in his word. And, you know, some of you may feel that half-heartedness, lukewarmness, cynicism. And you might say, you know, why doesn't God just speak to me? You know, I'm sick of the invisible God. I can't see. He never says any words to me. And a, a humbling thing is to answer the question, how much have I had the patience and time and the curiosity to let, this is a lot of words in here that God has spoken to us. How much study and attention have we given to these words? And maybe the reason we don't like the Bible is because God says things that we weren't expecting him to say. We're not letting him break our paradigms about who he is. Maybe we don't have that posture of patience and curiosity and humility as we come to God's word to find out this is, will we let God speak for himself to say who he is? Just like we have to let each other speak for ourselves. And so the Bible is, first of all, it's God's speech. It's God's revel- personal revelation of who he is. It's him saying, this is who I am. But, you know, there's another thing this text tells us. not only God's speech, God's words, but the Bible is also it is essential knowledge. There is knowledge in the Bible. Now, I think oftentimes when you think of a holy book, you think, well, you know, it's basically going to tell me inspiring things that are going to kind of give me a pick-me-up. You know, it's, some things, it's a collection of hallmark sayings that, you know, that will be inspirational things, and I'll open it up, and I'll, I'm going to open up the Bible to friendship and find an inspiring thing about friendship. And, um, it, of course, the Bible is filled with inspiring things, you know, heartwarming things, but it's also filled with essential knowledge for understanding the world. And so you can see this. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, there's a little picture of what happens when the priests are really like teaching the Bible well. And, he, and Malachi describes it and he says this. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found in his lips. Now that word instruction, true instruction, is the word Torah. Some of you might know that. It's the word for the law in the Old Testament. It was, the, it was how the scriptures of the Old Testament were described as the, the Torah. So the priests were supposed to have the Torah on their mouth. The word of God was the thing that they were supposed to speak. And then it says in verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. The Lord says that the Torah, the Bible, was knowledge. It's not just inspiring words about spirituality. But when the creator of our world, the creator of our very selves, speaks to us, whatever information he's giving us, 
is essential knowledge for living in his world well and actually knowing why you exist and what the world is about and what justice is and what, you know, what goodness is and what, you know, who God is. That is essential knowledge that needs to be guarded. And I don't think that we often think of faith that way as knowledge. You know, we think of it as something softer than knowledge. It's not something that, you know, we say things like, oh, you know, that's what you believe about God that the Bible tells you, you know, that's true for you. I have certain things that are true for me. It's kind of a squishy kind of knowledge that, you know, it, it molds itself to, you know, can, can be shaped however people want it. And we think that there are other kinds of knowledge that we're far more certain about, you know, like gravity. The acceleration of gravity is 9.8 meters per second squared. I am certain that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. It's not my truth and your truth. And, uh, and, but uh, Leslie Newbigin, who was a, uh, a missionary in India for 50 years, wrote a book about the kind of certainty that we have as Christians when we read the Bible. How, how certain is the knowledge that we get from the Bible? And he, he gives an illustration where he says, you know, you imagine that, you know, a group of guys that are sitting around at a pub and they, they all have a beer and everyone's kind of going around saying their thoughts about God. And some, one person says, you know, I think God's like this. And the other person says, well, you know, my view of God is kind of like this. And you know, every, it's all speculation. I mean, who knows? Everyone's just kind of guessing, right? And then New Biggin says, well, what would happen if then God actually walked into the pub and walked up to the table and he sat there? What would happen to the conversation? Everyone would stop talking. They'd say, well, God's here. <laughs> I'm, let's stop guessing. Let's let him speak for himself. And all of a sudden, you would stop talking and you would start listening. And you would let him speak for himself and say, this is who I am. And that is what the Bible is. God is saying to us, I, I'm not a mystery. I'm not something that you have to guess about. I'm, tell, I'm letting you in. I'm letting you in on who I am. And he does that to us in Christ as well. He comes as a man and says, this is who I am. And we should know that when God speaks, God does not lie. You know, some of you might have that question and say, well, you know, aren't there the mistakes in the Bible? It's an old book. Then they get some stuff wrong in there. And don't we understand that some things, you know, is written a long time ago. And, you know, what do we do with those mistakes? And the question we have to ask is if we regard this as God's speech to me, am I going to say to God that you're wrong? Now, I know that there's all kinds of things in the Bible that we have problems with, that we have doubts about, that we don't understand yet. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Of course I should expect that. You know, am I, am I going to expect that I'm going to completely understand God's speech when he comes to me? It's going to be a lifetime of finding the goodness and truth of what he's saying. But I cannot put myself in a position to say that God's words are wrong. If someone's a liar, I'm the liar. <laughs> and God's word is true. And so... The reason that we have confidence in the word of God that this is essential knowledge is not because I'm so smart and I can figure out every verse and I can prove to you that every verse in the Bible is true and that's exactly what happened in history. I can't prove you that. But if I did that, I'd be trusting in my own intellect. The reason we believe that these words are true is because we trust the, the one whom they came from. And we know that God is true. He does not lie to us. And we trust our hearts and we trust our minds to him that he speaks to us the truth. And this is the essential knowledge that we need for living in God's world, okay? So that's what the Bible is. The Bible is God speaking to us, and it is essential information that you need to know to be human in this planet, okay? So that le leads to a second question. 
How then should we receive God's word? What should our posture be towards it? And the two things that this passage says, which I don't think obviously go together, are that we are supposed to take it to heart. We're supposed to take the, God's word to heart. And we're also supposed to fear it. We're supposed to fear God's word. So first, you see, we're supposed to take it to heart. Look at verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Now, laying it to heart says that, you know, the important information that you get from the Bible is not supposed to be something that just lives in your brain as information or, you know, as like a theology wonk who knows all this information. It's supposed to convict your heart. It's supposed to be applied to your your will and your emotions and your behavior. Every part of us is kind of laid open to the word of God. So that's what it means to to take take God's word to heart. But then it also says that we're supposed to fear God's word. So look at, uh, you know, Malachi's talking about the the Levites and the priests who are supposed to teach the word of God. And it says in verse 4, so shall you know that I've sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi, the Levites or the, the pastors of the Old Testament, may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave, uh, I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear that he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. That's what it means to fear God is to stand in awe of his name. Now, you know, that that raises a question for me. Because I don't think those two things of opening your heart to someone and fearing generally go together. You know, if there's someone that you fear, you know, if you're talking to someone who's kind of aggressive or harsh with you, they're kind of domineering, what do you do? Do you open your heart to them? You say, yeah, let me let you in and tell you all about who I am. I'm being vulnerable with you. No, you don't say that. You put up walls. You become protective. You keep them at a distance. I'm not going to talk to that person. You become very protective. Doesn't fear make us close our hearts? I don't think that's always true. I think, you know, as you think of the example of, of intimacy, Intimacy is a strange place where fear and an open heart come together. You know, I think about when I was 18 and, you know, I first said to Shannon, I think I love you. You know, it's, uh, I said it about like that. And uh, I think I love you. And, uh, you know, it's this strange, like, whoa, I'm opening my heart and exposing, and yet it's, like, terrifying. Like, how is this going to be received? And there's fear in the midst of that exposing. And actually, the opening of a heart of letting someone in is always an exhilarating experience of fear. And the Bible tells us that this is the kind of thing that God wants, the kind of encounter God wants to have with us through his word as he speaks intimately to us about the most important things in our own lives and and about him. And uh, Hebrews 4, I I quoted Hebrews 4 a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to read it again. Listen to intimacy, fear, the word of God coming together in this passage. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's an amazing thing. It says that the word of God actually goes into our souls, into these hidden caverns, dark places in our soul that we haven't even been to. We didn't even know they were there. And exposes them and like searches out who we are. The word of God does that. And then he says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him 
to whom we must give an account. And so God's word speaking to us, laying its, you know, naked exposure (laughs) before our God, but also intimacy and love and assurance and promise. All of that comes together when the almighty God speaks to us. So that's what our posture is. We open our hearts and we fear at the same time. That's what we should expect. But then that raises the question, though, what, what happens if we neglect that? Man, wow, powerful. God has spoken to us. It's essential knowledge, and it's this thrill to encounter who God is. But what happens when we neglect the word of God? And the thing that this passage tells us is that when we neglect the word of God, the church loses her power and influence in the world. We lose our influence in the world. And that's what's happening in this passage is that the priests and the teachers of God's people have stopped teaching God's word. They've stopped teaching it. And so they've, they've, uh, they've lost their influence. And you can see this in verse 2. Look at what it says, verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Now, Scholars aren't exactly sure what that's talking about. What it's probably talking about is that the priests, you know, give a blessing to the people. You know, at the end of the service, you know, either uh, Daniel and I will uh, come before the congregation. We raise our hands. We say the benediction. You know, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And, like, the the speech of the words of the priests are supposed to be this act of goodness where God is placing his love and blessing on the people. And he's saying, because you've left my word, actually what you're bringing to the people is not love and blessing. You're pronouncing curse upon them. Your blessings have turned, it turned into curses. And then it says this in verse 13. Behold, is graphic. <laughs> Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and uh, you shall be taken away with it. Now, I don't know if you knew that the Lord did that. I mean, he takes, he says to the, the priests, you know, who are sacrificing these animals, and when you cut open an animal, their feces come out all over the place. And he's said, the Lord says, I'm going to take that, I'm going to smear it all over your face, which you, maybe you didn't know the Lord did that kind of thing. But he, you know... <laughs> He says that to the priest, and what he's saying is, you know, what happens is there's certain parts of the animal in the sacrifice that were not offered to the Lord. They were taken out, like the hide and certain, you know, parts of the innards and stuff like that. They were taken outside the camp, and they were burned. And he says, you know what, part of that is the feces. I'm going to smear that all over you, and you're going to be taken outside. I had placed you in this sacred place of the sanctuary where you spoke to the people, and you represented me, and you had this power in their lives, and you've lost that. You haven't spoken my words to them, so I'm going to, this is a demotion, right? Getting smeared all over your faces. I'm demoting you from this sacred place and putting you in the camp outside. And you're going to lose your influence. You're going to lose your impact in, in people's lives. When churches stop teaching the Bible, they lose their power and influence in the world. Which is a surprising thing. You know, many people would say, you know, isn't the Bible kind of an old, dusty book? I mean, Malachi that we're talking about here was written 2,500 years ago. Shouldn't we be talking about something a little more up-to-date, a little more relevant? Aren't people going to receive that more? And the truth is that what our culture needs is a voice from outside the culture. That's what the Bible is. It's something that's not the same thing that we've been hearing over and over. It's an alien voice. It's a voice from outside our culture that, that really speaks objectively to us, and it shows us, shows us our weakness and shows us who we really are. And, you know, I was 
talking to some friends last week who they go to a church in another town, and we were having a conversation about death. And they were saying, you know, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about death. I don't even think I've heard death talked about in church. You know, we actually don't even hear sin talked about in church, which, you know, if you read the Bible, death and sin are pretty big subjects in there. And clearly there's been an omission about what the Bible talks about because I know how it is. You know, pastors want to be liked. They want people to like what they're saying. They want people to approve of them and say, you know, well, why don't I say the things that people want to hear and, you know, that are inspiring, that are uplifting. And, of course, the Bible has inspiring and uplifting things, but it also speaks to us about hard things like sin and death. And uh, what happens is when we stop being willing to say what God has said, because we want people to like us, we will lose our influence. And you look at our culture that is becoming, you know, increasingly uh, less Christian, Few, you know, more and more people are no longer identifying with the Christian church or say they believe in the Bible. And you might think that the world is dragging the church away from God. That is not what happened in the last hundred years. In the last hundred years, it was the seminary professors and it was the pastors who stopped believing the Bible way before the people did. And they, for decades and decades, were not teaching the Bible. And it took decades for the people to come along. But now the people are finally saying, okay, well, we haven't been taught the Bible in decades. Why would we believe it? It was the church, it was the leaders in the church that have led us away from God. And so um, the Lord says, okay, you're not going to teach my word. And now the church has uh, uh, far less influence in our culture than it used to. And so this leads to a last question. What happens, though, if we don't uh, neglect the word of God, but we actually treasure the word of God? What happens in our individual lives and in the lives of our community? And Malachi says this, verse 6, again. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. This is talking about the, the Levites and the priests. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And listen to this great line. And he turned many from iniquity. It's a great little phrase about the transformation of a life. And what happens when the word of God is spoken clearly, when we commit ourselves to the word of God, our lives are changed. People's lives are changed. And, you know, I was just, uh, I've been reading this biography about uh, St. Augustine, who St. Augustine was maybe the greatest Christian thinker, besides, you know, our Lord and the Apostle Paul, some of the disciples, Augustine has had a huge impact on the Christian church and our, uh, and our society. And um, Augustine grew up with a mother who was a Christian. She was very devout. She was very worried about her son. She was always praying for him. But he joined this cult of this cult of the Manichees. And this cult really had a very low view of the Bible. They thought the Old Testament was ridiculous. And he spent many years of his young life in this cult. But then he moved to Milan... And he started going to church with his mom. And mom, his mom went to this church where the pastor's name was Ambrose. And Ambrose was this bishop who was extremely well-educated. He was a civic leader. He was just this man of stature. And Augustine went in and started listening to these sermons. And, and Ambrose had a very high view of the Bible. Many of his sermons were defending that the Bible was the word of God. And, and also Ambrose was very kind to Augustine. He befriended him. He talked to him about the things that were happening in his life. And all of a sudden, this created this possibility in Augustine's life that maybe the Bible's true. 
And so the biographer tells this story about Augustine was out in his garden in the backyard, and it was one day where he was just distraught about his life. He didn't know what he was going to do with his life. He's weeping in the backyard. And all of a sudden, he hears this voice of a child who's singing in a you know, neighboring yard. And the child was singing these words. Take it and read. Take it and read. This little child song, take it and read, take it and read. And Augustine said it, it was the voice of the Almighty God speaking through this child, commanding me. And he had a Bible in his house, and he goes in, and he says, wherever I turn, I'm just going to read wherever my eyes land first. And he, he uh, opens to Ephesians, and he reads these words, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries, rather arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. He reads these words, and then this is what he says. In an instant, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. It was that moment he read those words that the word of God showed him who he was, his own sin, and showed him Jesus as a savior was the turning point of his whole life. It was the thing that gave him the light of confidence and dispelled the darkness away in him. The word of God has the power to transform. The word of God is a power. That is what's so amazing is when we treasure the word of God, that power is at work in our lives. It is the power that makes worlds. And it is the power that turns our hearts from sin to the living God and to hope in him. And so that's why, as a church, uh, we will treasure the word of God and it's a great gift from him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you have spoken to us, that you have led us in on who you are. You have opened yourself to us. Lord, as you have opened who you are to us, would we open ourselves to you as, as well. That your word would have this transformative power in our individual lives and in the lives of our community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.